Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning, Hillside. It's a little light today, but it's fall, and I like it. It feels good. Um, so, you know, we were talking about this message today, and we're on the obstacles of faith today. We said, what literal illustration could we put in their way that could be an obstacle? So we decided to put a Mack truck in the driveway for you to have to drive around. I'm completely kidding. I, first, I want to apologize for the fact that there's a truck in the middle of our drive this morning getting that trailer out of here. I, I didn't even know it was happening. I came in this morning and said, what are they doing? Are they trying to move it today? But um, we appreciate your patience and just want you to know that as you leave, instead of directing the traffic out of here on the north side where that truck is, we're going to be going between the buildings and out the south side. You could still get out both ways on the other end, but just just love each other. Just be patient and appreciate the parking guys who are working around this thing. And then remember this, that people are walking through the building, between the buildings to get their kids. And if you're one of those walkers, make sure your insurance is up to date because, kidding, okay, just kidding. Um, but I just needed to get that little bit of housekeeping out of the way. Thanks for being patient. We're excited. I mean, things are happening. It's moving. So what we're actually talking about today, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter 1, so you could flip there. While you do, I always love uh, to see what quirky things are out there in culture, and just sometimes you find some really fun articles. One of those um, was talking about this museum that's in Sweden, and this town in Sweden called the Museum of Failure. And I was really interested to see what's in the museum of failure. And so it's basically products and innovations that just failed epically that you'd almost forget, yet they're out there. And so one of them, I'm a nerd, and I was like, this, this one um, I, I happened to see, and I wanted to, there we go, I uh, wanted to see, does anybody know what this device is? There's an Apple logo on there. Um, this is an Apple Newton, and it came out in 1993. And it was a massive failure. I'm actually curious too. Nobody in first, did did anyone have one in here? I got a hand. That is so awesome. I I really like want to try to find one of these, but it didn't do well. And what it was meant to be, it was heading into the market as the, you know, the PDAs. And some students are going to say personal display of affection. No, the personal digital assistant is what the original PDA was. And, you know, it was so interesting. It was meant to be this great, just transformative ability to work on the go. Um, Apple wanted to aim for something that could fit in your pocket. And it's funny to think about what we have in our pockets today that are far greater than this. Um, One of its, like, key features was supposed to be it could read your handwriting um, and then turn it into text. And it didn't go well, and um, they ended up shutting down the program. But it's kind of cool that you could kind of see the inspiration behind what we have now with our iPhones and our iPads. It was between the size of those two. And I bring this up because um, I want to highlight some of the reasons why it didn't do well. Number one, they rushed it to market, which is odd because Apple takes their time on everything now. Uh, But they rushed it to market because competitors caught wind of what they were doing, and they beat them out there with something close. And so Apple rushed it, and they didn't take their time. They didn't put the right hardware in place. They didn't have the software that was really going to execute and fulfill what it was meant to be. And then a lot of people would say that it was ahead of its time. And where you could actually send a fax with it, 
uh, it wasn't connected to the internet because that was really, again, something that came a few years later um, and was done really well by Apple. And we, I think, you know, know how the world changed ever since. But I bring this up because I think sometimes as believers, we give our lives to Christ and then we rush out there. We don't equip ourselves with some foundational truths that are key to helping us become and live according to his word. And ultimately, we miss the mark because we're not connected, because we don't stay connected to who he is. So I think in the end, sometimes we run out there and look like a bunch of Apple Newtons, and I don't want us to be that. And I think First Peter has something great for us to see today uh, to help us with it. Um, you know, First Peter's five chapters, and the rest of the book um, is really about Christian living. It's great application, very direct. But he begins with a foundational truth about salvation, and I believe it's important for us to spend time there today. We're going to look at verses 3 through 12 and kind of break it apart. Now, here's what's really cool about this. We're, we're skipping the greeting. The greeting has some cool stuff in the first two verses, but we're going to start with verse 3. Verses 3 through 9 are actually one, um, grammatically, you can't see it in English, but they're one run-on uh, run sentence. For Peter, he literally is so excited about this topic that he doesn't even stop. And so we're going to break it apart, get it to bite size, um, and see what he has for us. But this is what I want us to leave here today with a strengthened passion to bless God by holding fast to the living hope he has given us in Jesus through obedience. Um, I love the quote by C.S. Lewis that says, Joy is the serious business of heaven. And here's what I say to that. If joy is rooted in acknowledging who God is and what he's done for us, then I want to suit up. I want to suit up and take seriously the commitment of who I'm meant to be as a follower of him. So let's do that with the text. Let's start with verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are protected through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're gonna spend time with salvation, but there's some key components to it that we're gonna look at. And Peter starts right away with, blessed be the God. Now, what I love about this is that he's singing praise right away to say, first and foremost, this whole thing is possible because of who God is and what he's done. But here's what, something that I didn't catch here, you know, blessing or praise to God. Um, but this term that Peter used would have triggered the minds of the Jewish Christians because this blessing is actually right in line with the customary um, Jewish prayer and um, how they prayed and blessed God. There's a, um, a Jewish prayer called the 18 Benedictions, and it had this exact terminology that was a series of blessings to God, giving thanks to him for the promises that he would fulfill, right? Because Old Testament, they were looking forward to the fulfillment of that promise of salvation. And Peter's using it here, saying praise and blessing to God to what he has done, to what he has fulfilled that has been finished, and that's a really cool picture of just Peter recognizing that. 
Now, the second part of this that we want to highlight is in the uh, mercy side of things. He's going to talk about salvation, and he's going to digress into three things, mercy, suffering, and inheritance. And so the first one's mercy. And, you know, we, we love this idea of salvation, of, of the deliverance to a final place, but we also must remember what he is saving us from. And that's not just this world and the darkness within it, it's the darkness and the sin from within ourselves. And if we have the holy and just God that we call him to be, and that he declares himself and we agree to, there's a wrath, a punishment that is for that sin that we live in. And it doesn't just go away, the punishment doesn't just disappear, he directed it on his son. It's a heavy price, a price that we could have never paid, and he did, and we must celebrate that mercy of what he did not give us so that we might have what we do have in new life. And it's that new birth, that living hope that we have. And I love that term living hope because it's suggesting regeneration, right? We're born again, the old is gone, the new is here. And it's living, it's breathing. You get this sense of action. It's not one and done. It's not completed and you just coast. But there's this renewal that occurs day by day as we tap into the life that God has called us to. It's breathing, it's growing. And as a result of that, we can remember what he has already done in the resurrection of Christ. It'd be a difficult thing to picture a living hope if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We have that truth. We have that hope. It's in Christ. There's a beautiful promise here. Now, we're going to be talking about tenses today to understand the different components of salvation. Salvation is something that has occurred in our life, that is occurring in our life, and that will be completed in the final day. And there's a really beautiful picture of the one and three parts of salvation. And so if you look at the next part, we've got inheritance imperishable. Now, inheritance to me suggests something future, right? So when I think of inheritance, I think of what that means on the earthly level. Um, Maybe you picture a loved one or a relative passing away. They've left something behind, hopefully good. And then there's certain conditions or some type of will that kind of lays out how this is going to be. And so in our salvation, we have an inheritance that we can look forward to, and it doesn't fade. It can't be removed. There's something secure about it. And you may be asking yourself, well, what's the role that I play? What do I have to do to make sure this doesn't disappear? And here's the crazy part. Look what it says in verse five. It is by God's power that this inheritance is reserved So not only do we have a God that loves us to make a way for us in his son, but he is also giving us the the security and the assurance of what it will be and what he will do with it on his own power. So you still ask yourself, what is the role that I play? And if you look right after God's part, it says, through faith. That faith part is our role. We are, faith is personal, It is the decision to say, God, I am giving up what I am. I am letting the old go away and I am letting you transform me. I am laying down myself in your hands so that you can lead and guide and so that I could be all that you are calling me to be. That's the side that we stand in. 
Now, you know, this is the spirit inside of us that we receive that is able to renew us, right? That living hope and, and, and makes a way for us to become what we are meant to be. Before we leave this section, though, on inheritance and get to the next verses, I want to look at inheritance one more time and look at that part that says undefiled and unfading. Let's go back to that notion of, you know, the earthly inheritance, right? So you have something left to you. What might it be? Fortune, maybe a little money, land, property. But all those things are still temporary. That fortune can lose value. That land can be taken away or spoiled. And yet this inheritance that we have is a promise that is undefiled, unfading. Right? And, and think about what this means um, to, to Israel, to the, to the people of Israel. The Old Testament promise that God gave to his people was concerning land. And they, they received it, right? They had a land for themselves amongst other kingdoms. God awarded them that promise. However, it was taken in their disobedience, in the, in the enemies surrounding them, and, and the, the fruit that they did have spoiled. It was only temporary, and yet the inheritance we're promised doesn't go away, cannot be taken, and there should be great comfort and, and, and praise for what he is promising us. It's, it's an incredible thing. So, you know, Peter says in verse six that I'm about to show, he says, there's great joy in this, but he has an although. This brings you great joy, although... You may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away. And, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we hit a slight bump. There's this joy. There's this inheritance. But there's also suffering. And this, these verses, if, if, if you're like me, and I think that some of us can get this way, we're like, oh, let's just read through that. Like, let's see what else there is. Uh, suffering, I don't, that's not a fun one to talk about. Peter's showing us that there's a very key play of suffering here. And we need to understand what that is. First, I wanna highlight the fact that suffering and these trials, sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what these things are. There are hardships in life, difficult circumstances that happen to each and every one of us. But he's not just talking about the blanket hardships, okay? We get flat tires sometimes. It happens. We get stuck in traffic sometimes. It happens. We get sick sometimes. It happens. The suffering he is talking about here is direct opposition, a tension Immediately as a result of you being a follower of Christ. It's a good reminder here to remember that what we believe, what God is calling us to, will always be naturally counter-cultural to the way the world wants to operate. It's a hard thing to hear because we live in a really unique time of history where we're a part of a country that has been raised on Christian morals and values at some level. And I think you could look out at the landscape right now and say those are quickly fading. And and if they're not fading, they're definitely not championed by mainstream. And so as this occurs, we must prepare ourselves and acknowledge the fact 
that there is going to be a tension between the way we are walking in our lives, no matter how great it is and how great of a truth that we believe it is and the compassion and love that we find in it and the joy against what the world thinks we should be doing. And Peter says that there are going to be trials. And frankly, I don't even feel like we have the right to call it suffering at some level because think about who he's writing to here. This is first century followers of Christ that in their day and age, they are getting persecuted, arrested, attacked, beaten, beheaded, killed for just following him. Not even doing anything against that culture. And so there's so much to learn and I'm humbled by that, but we can relate. And there might be more of a day coming that we have to be ready for that kind of a conversation. And Peter's saying, look, it's for a short time. He does give us hope here and say, number one, it's for a short time. And I think what he's saying is that the, the life we live is a sliver to the immense weight and glory of eternity. And so though it may be for a time, he's going to equip and promise and provide for us to endure so that we may come to the arrival of that final place of completion of salvation in and through him. Number two, he says this, the trials are various. And it says you may. And I think what he's saying here is there's no direct one answer for each and every one of us. We are all unique. We're gonna have different paths of life that we're gonna walk in our work, in our family, where we live. And we must be ready for anything and know where the character of our faith stands. But it's gonna vary. And it's not, you know, the trials don't produce gold. The gold is already there, right, in the analogy he's using. It simply refines it. It purifies it. It authenticates the genuineness of the substance. And so in light of our faith, these trials are going to purify, are going to show us what's real and what isn't within us. And it's good. But there's going to be a little heat. Maybe um, some of the commentators were using some you know, kind of metaphors and analogies to work through this. So, you know, just a couple of them would be um, suffering is the smoke to the fire of faith, right? The faith is there. It's an indicator that this thing is a flame. I really like this one. Suffering is the wake behind the boat of salvation. I really like that one because the boat, if it's moving, you will see the path it has taken. You know, I, I picture maybe an aerial view of a boat that's really far away. And if you're trying to spot the boat in the first place, you're not looking for the boat. It's tiny. What are you looking for? You're looking for the waves that were made from it. Then you could find it. It's just an indicator. I really like this. Pastor Daniel, we were kind of talking about this passage, and he had a professor that always said this about suffering. A dog doesn't bark at a parked car. A dog doesn't bark at a parked car. So I got a question for you because I think self-reflection is good as we go through this text. Are you moving or are you parked? I don't want us to go out there and be, you know, reckless, self-sacrificial, woe is me. But I am saying, be ready. And if you're living a life worthy of the calling that he has given us, 
there's gonna be a natural tension that comes from interacting with the culture. But he has promised us deliverance and we have that hope, that new birth that he has given us and, 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 and that he's providing the strength to endure. Here's maybe a little bit of a microcosm of example um, here in this text. When I was uh, thinking about it, I, I, I couldn't help but think about where my marriage is at with my wife. We're four and a half years in, and I told you back in August that over the summer we became parents, okay? And I thought I knew what marriage was, okay? I really did. I was like, we're figuring this thing out. Then you put a kid in there, and the fire is turned up, Okay? We're only two months, or no, I guess three and a half months in now. I mean, you lose track of time. You have no energy. You have no sleep. I, your schedule, not your own anymore. And, you know, there's a lot of great things in marriage, but I'm telling you, whatever it looks like on Instagram, that's not the real thing, okay? You know, you even, like, have this mentality about what this relationship is with this other person. But when it's put to trial, and it's the greatest trial, and there's so much joy in it, but when it's put to trial with taking care of a newborn, you're gonna know really fast what this thing is made of. And what is it built on? Is our faith really in him? Do we really love each other? But it's the best because what this, what this time is doing is it's showing us what's real and what matters and how we need to be relying on God to help us through it and how we need to be loving and doing specific things for each other so that we might have joy and healthiness in our relationship and are the best we can be for this little guy. And so that's, that's just a microcosm of an example of, of this greater picture that we have in our faith. So, you know, a lot of what we're talking about so far is looking forward, right? There's this hope to be had about something coming. But I think 8 and 9 here, verses 8 and 9, show us a little bit about something now. If you look at that word, it's right there within it. Let's look at it. Um, Peter says, and it takes an interesting turn. I didn't think he'd go here, but he says, You have not seen him, him being Jesus, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him, and so you rejoice, with an indescribable and glorious joy because you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this whole passage is pointing you back to that salvation. And I think he does this right here, is that, you know, faith is looking at something that you cannot see right now, right? And, you know, Jesus talks about this in the Gospels of believing in him, and he commit. I mean, Peter here, too, is commending the believer for trusting it in him, even though they can't see it. And here's what this says to me. You know, the, the world and, and the way that those that don't know him are operating, they're looking for something that's real. They want reward and tangible. They want it now. And ironically, you never find it there. The thing that is the most rewarding, the most real, is in the one that we can't see yet. I think there's something beautifully profound. And, and, and once you commit, when you give yourself up through faith and trust in him, only then will you understand what authentically he gives you in that gift of salvation, of knowing him and having that. It's a personal relationship. It's not just the punch of a ticket. It's not just the sign your name here. 
It's a relationship that begins and is ongoing and that we will see more of in a future day. Here's the other cool part. It says, indescribable and glorious joy. I really like that idea of inexpressible, right? Because I'll tell you that when I really am in a moment with him and I have that just, it's this experience of just thankfulness, this overwhelming thankfulness, I get giddy and I can't even get words out. And one commentator, uh, Grudem says this in his, in, in, in his writing, um, no wonder we have song for worship because words just don't do it justice, and then glorious joy, I kind of read through that phrase a little fast, and then I had to stop on it because the commentators spent quite a bit of time on it, and they said, look, this glorious joy is, is the same description of this notion of the, of the glory, the Old Testament describing God as this radiant glow of a presence in his glory. And it's applying it to joy here. And it's showing us that this encounter with God brings a joy that literally encapsulates the glory of heaven before heaven. When we know him and experience this joy, it's heaven on earth. A slice of heaven before heaven, I love that. And then there's this reminder that you are attaining the goal of your faith right? It's, again, not a one and done. You don't get there and get to cruise and sip your drink. It's the beginning of a new life, and there will be this day-by-day process where he is purifying and growing and showing you new things and delivering you salvation of your soul. So he has two parties that he wants to talk about um, that are involved in this process or that are witnessing it. And so we're going to look at that in verses 10 and uh, through 12. Um, So let's look at that. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who predicted the grace that would come to you searched and investigated carefully. So we have these Old Testament prophets that made all of these these writings and and you've got the John the Baptist and and those that made a way, paved a way for us to understand what this salvation is. They, They painstakingly worked on this as directed by him. Look at this. They probed into what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified beforehand about the sufferings appointed for Christ and his subsequent glory. They were shown that they were serving not themselves, but you in regard to the things now announced to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What a beautiful picture this is. You have the the prophets that are doing this on our behalf, not even their own. So they have a future hope that they're looking forward to But in the spirit of Christ, they are being equipped to lay a foundation for us to understand what God's redemptive plan was, right? It's these promises of prophecy that were going to be fulfilled. And without them, we wouldn't have this. We wouldn't understand the weight of this glory. We wouldn't understand the clarity and sovereignty of just how amazing God was in his intricate, wow, I can't even get that word out, plan. And I'm thankful 
that they did so, so that we might be here and gather together and celebrate the salvation that he has for each and every one of us waiting to trust in him. And they did this for us. I think that what happens when you give your life to Christ and you know what he has done in you, you can't help but want to overflow this radiant, glowing joy. And one of those outpourings is by looking beyond yourself and being a light to others. And I think of, I'm encouraged here in this text to say, this isn't just about me. I can be that light to others. There might be someone right next to me or down the road that is gonna need me to walk with them and help show what these prophets did carefully, organizing this word together and help them understand. And I know that when I'm walking in him, my heart burns for that, no matter the trial that I may face. Because it's scary to step out there. But I'll tell you what, the moments in my life when I'm not walking in step with him and I'm not reading his word and I'm not letting him renew me with his living hope daily, this, that desire's not there. And I become inwardly focused and I'm not thinking about that obedience to look out for those around me. Now here's probably one of the coolest parts of the text. I cut it, verse 12 and a half. And so it says, in regards to these things, in regards to salvation and what the prophets have done to lay this path before us, it says this, these are things angels long to catch a glimpse of. These are things that angels are longing to catch a glimpse of. That blows my mind that we have these angelic beings of heaven that want to see what's happening here. How often do we stand here and look up at the stars and go, oh God, just, just, I just need a little encouragement. I'm an angel, I want a glimpse of heaven. And it's the other way around. They're saying the God of this universe has come to you. He cares about you. He loves you, this salvation. And remember, they can't experience salvation. They're sinless beings. And they're wanting to witness what God is doing here in his redemptive glory and plan. You know, the commentator said this, um, it's, it's almost as if you picture the angels, they're straining their necks to look over the bombardments of heaven just to see the incredible story that's unfolding in God's glory. One said it like this, I think Pete said this one before, but um, it's like attendees to a wedding and they're peeking around the corner and just maybe catch a glimpse of the bride before the ceremony. There's a beauty, there's just a majestic wonder about what we're experiencing, what he's done for us and what he's doing actively to completion and, and I'm like, man, why, why do I flounder around sometimes? Because this just focuses me to, to him and, and puts me in a place of passion to want to live obediently in it. I, I'm sorry, I almost debated not bringing this up today, but I, I just can't help. I don't know why this came to my mind. It works weird. Um, I think of The Incredibles, okay? I'm sure most of you have seen The Incredibles. And there's that scene 
where Mr. Incredible comes home from work um, in his car and he like lifts it up one time. And the little kid, the little neighborhood kid's on the tricycle and he pops his gum and he's just like, what did I just witness? He lifted the car. And then like a couple days later, he comes home again and the dad's all pouty and he gets out and he's like, what are you looking at, kid? And the kid's sitting there on the track and he's like, I don't know, I'm just waiting for something amazing, I guess. Mr. Incredible's like, me too, me too. But here's, here's the point that I have here. Some of us are sitting on the scooters waiting for something amazing and God's saying, stand up. I wanna do something incredible in you. You don't have to wait. When you take hold of what I'm offering you in salvation and that it's gonna be you know, something that I begin in you, it's a new life, you're born again, I have wonders for you to experience. You know, on this note, um, you know, we've been in Hebrews in our, our fall series with Pete, right? Life in the big city. And we're talking about community and, and letting in the stranger and, 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 you know, bringing in community inclusively, right? And I can't help but think this in this moment. The thing that makes this community, this body right here so special is the core thread of the fact that we are a saved community of grace by the power of Jesus. And if you remove that, what are we? We could have the best intentions of including people and loving on people, but I'm gonna tell you this, we're just another social club, if that's the case. If we forget and don't act and don't just marvel and live according to the salvation that we have been promised and that we have been called to carry out in the obtaining of our faith, then we'll miss it. And it's an injustice to him and to those that need to hear this. You know, the world is great at organizations. We can all be a part of them. That's great. That's fine. I don't need another one. We're meant to be a passionate, loving community of grace that is directed by him. And look, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to see this world look at churches and go, yeah, you know, they're, they're good-hearted people. They're about social transformation. It's not enough. I can be about social transformation, absolutely, about loving on people, reaching out. But we are first a community about spiritual restoration. A natural byproduct of that is social transformation. And when we are in line with who God is creating us to be, we will naturally answer that call of obedience to love others where they are at, to help them out of those difficult circumstances, and to show them the salvation that we have received and invite them to be a part to. Uh, My mentor growing up, Kyle Gray, a lot of you know him, he used to always say this, this little picture and I I can't help but bring it up here. Um, He said, I don't, you know, God may look down at you sometimes and ask you, what are you doing playing in that puddle when there are oceans out there for you to experience? And in this case, you know, some of us, we like our puddle. We like a nice little pond. We could feel the bottom of it. We could see the edges of it and go, this is nice. I could I can comprehend this. I got my Sunday. I can go to church on a Sunday. I can talk really well. I know how to speak the language. 
I can be good to people. And that's, that's where we draw our line. And, and, and doesn't really do anything, but God's like, I have oceans where it's deep, but I'm gonna deliver you through them. Where it takes you to unknown places, but I'm gonna show you where. And you're gonna meet some of the most wonderful people along the way. People that you might not have ever crossed if you stayed in that puddle. I want to go and explore and I need you to do it. I mean, that's what Hebrews 10 says, right? To spur each other on, to keep meeting together with one another, to make sure that we are taking hold of the salvation that we are called to walk in. He has begun a work in us when we give our lives to him, but it is not done. If you're still breathing, you still got work to do and it's good. And so I, Pete didn't give me a series to give. I, I get one. And so I want to say this to you. The rest of First Peter, the rest of First Peter, it's five chapters total, I said. Here's a great challenge for you this week. Read one chapter a day. You already got most of one. And see what it has in store. Because I'll give you a hint. Verse 13 says this, therefore... Therefore, because of the salvation, because of the hope we have in him, because of the joy, get your minds ready for action, being fully sober and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Get ready, gear up. Don't be drunk on the world. It doesn't last and it gives you a headache. He says, be sharp, be sober. Set your hope to him and ultimately, Verse 16, I love what it says. It reminds us of that line in Leviticus. It is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. This isn't a, a, a punch of a ticket. You sit in the bus and you cruise. You're signing up for a race. He's ready to run it with you. He wants to show you this world and he wants you to be a part of it, but you've got to trust in him. And know that he is preparing your heart and your mind and your soul to equip you so that you may go and be obedient to the calling that he has on your life. And it's unique for each and every one of you. And I'm excited to see where he takes all of us. Now, I can't think of a better way to end today than with communion. Because again, without him, without his sacrifice, without Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, this would be for nothing. 